Welcome to Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show. I'm Bryn. And I'm Maeve. And today on the show, we'll recap this week in sports. It's the start of March Madness, so we'll give you a quick history of the tournament, the origin of brackets, and we'll reveal our own picks and how we chose them, wink, wink. And then the swimsuit edition and the body issue go head-to-head in an objectification matchup. Plus, Bryn goes for a run and Maeve goes kickboxing. This week in sports, what happened? Well, uh, this last week was the start of the NFL free agency, which basically means that any player with an expired contract is free to sign with any other franchise. So there's been a lot of movement around the league in this past week, and this free agency period continues, so it could get crazier. It's like the Wild West out there. It is especially with Chip Kelly and, on the, and the Philadelphia Eagles making some really interesting decisions. Um, what what happened? Well, they Chip Kelly is relatively new to the Philadelphia Eagles, and he started out this year by trading Lashawn McCoy to the Bills and bringing in Demarco Murray at running back to replace him. Um, paying a boatload of money for Byron Maxwell from the Seahawks um, and making a very interesting quarterback trade decision, uh-huh. uh, trading Nick Foles to St. Louis for Sam Bradford, who's been injured and is kind of untested. And that should be an interesting thing to watch. What's the peanut season? gallery saying might be his reasoning? Is there any rational... Um, There's a lot of things to do with the salary caps, um, a lot of things to do with Chip Kelly just wanting to bring in, quote-unquote, his kind of guys. Ah, Um, that elusive kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's pretty unclear at this point. Um, But what it pretty much means is that the the Eagles won't be going after Marcus Mariota in the draft Mm. because they would have had to trade up a bunch of spots to get him and that's just not likely given everything else that they've done and he was a big time college quarterback he just won the Heisman Trophy this past year so So he should be good pickings yes he's gonna go in the top six at least if not the top three I guess we'll have to wait and see yeah so other than NFL free agency uh the U.S. women's national soccer team woo just won the um, Algarve Cup in Portugal, um, and they beat France two to nothing in the final, making this their tenth win of this cup. So Dominating, we're just pretty much Dominating. destroying the competition. Excellent. Um, what else? In other sports, spring practice is starting up for college football, just as baseball spring training winds down. You know how, how excited I am for baseball season to start. I do. I do. And uh, Maeve's favorite, the uh, <laughs> Boston Red Sox, open against the Phillies on April 6th, while our hometown Washington Nationals open against the Mets. And then, in a dramatic twist um the Red Sox have their home opener against the Nats on April 13th which is basically my ultimate world series if it were ever to come to that coming so early in the season (laughs) I know but it, it could be like a really great preview because 
you know, people always say, like, you know, Maeve, how can you root for the Nats? You're a Red Sox fan. And I don't think that it's a conflict of interest until until you get to the most perfect World Series, in which case I would have to go with my original allegiances of the Boston Red Sox. We would have a very divided house if that were to happen. <laughs> Um, but really the main, uh, the biggest event of the week is that today we're recording this on Sunday. Today is Selection Sunday, um, which is the beginning of March Madness. Woo! Um, for the uninitiated, March Madness, or, uh, the big dance, <laughs> is the playoff for the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Championship. Um, which begins with 68 teams divided into four regions and ranked 1 through 16 within each region. Um, 32 teams get placed into the bracket because they're the champions of their conference, and the other 36 teams receive an at-large berth by being selected by a committee, which is what this whole Selection Sunday is about. That seems so subjective. Um, It kind of is, and it creates some controversy, so... People, the bracket just came out mere hours ago, (laughs) Um, and people are are, are already complaining that UCLA shouldn't even have been included. They were like two and eight on the road this year, two and eight versus the top, top 50 opponents. Like, they just have a pretty weak record, so... Um, so is this like the Grammys or the Academy Awards where the selection committee basically. is so opaque? UCLA is like Beck, and in <laughs> this analogy, Colorado State is definitely Beyonce. They got snubbed. Oh. They were ranked as high as 29th on one of the power rankings, and everyone thought for sure Colorado State would get into the tournament, and they did not. Well, now that you've turned it into a Beyonce metaphor, I'm outraged. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> Where's Kanye to come argue in my defense? Oh, who would be Kanye in this situation? <laughs> uh, unclear. Oh, actually, um, Kanye, I think, would have to be a Dick Vitale. Oh, God. Who, this um, is breaking news right here. If you want to talk about arrogance... <laughs> Decided to just go ahead and plant one on Ashley Judd prior to uh, Kentucky's last game. Just, we'll post this picture on social media. It's, Ashley Judd just looks repulsed and it's kind of sad. You know. (laughs) Poor thing. It is sad, but I guess, I guess that that's how it goes sometimes. When you're a woman standing courtside. (laughs) Standing courtside as the undefeated Kentucky won their last game in the SEC championship. So speaking of Kentucky, who are the favorites this year? Well, in the men's bracket, Kentucky is a massive favorite. They are coming into the tournament undefeated throughout the entire season. They won the SEC championship. Um, It's just sort of a question of if anyone can beat them at this point, because it hasn't happened yet. Um, On the women's side, similarly, Connecticut comes in as a huge favorite. They won last year. I think they've won the last two years. Yeah. Um, So they're coming in strong as ever. Yeah, well, UConn has really been on the warpath ever since they were upset earlier in the season by Stanford. And ever since then, they've been winning most of their games by at least 35 points. That's insane. It's crazy. They're just so dominant. Well, another interesting team to watch in this 
in the women's tournament is Princeton, who, despite being just a eight seed, is coming into the tournament undefeated. So there are four teams seated as number one in this tournament, and none of them are undefeated, but Princeton sitting at number eight. Well, they just got screwed by the selection committee, right? Maybe. Yeah, there's some strength of schedule issues there, but they should be an interesting team to watch. Well, finally, you know me, my GW Colonials made it number six seed, so I'll definitely be watching them and keeping everyone updated on how we do. So, very exciting. Buff and blue! So that's what's happening this year in March Madness. Maeve, do you want to give us a little history lesson? Yeah, absolutely. So, the first NCAA college men's basketball tournament was held in 1939 when the University of Oregon defeated Ohio State. And it started with just eight teams, which is a far cry from today's 68. Wow. Uh, And the first women's tournament was held in 1982, and its structure echoes the men's... literally 50 years later? Well, 1939 to 1982, but yeah, like roundabouts. 40 years later. Yeah. Um, And so the women's tournament looks a lot like the men's tournament now, but it originally started with 32 teams because obviously there was more going on in 82 than in 1939. Um, But to give a little background on the term March Madness itself, it's kind of just one of those givens nowadays, but uh, the term actually originates with Illinois high school basketball. And their tournament began in 1908 and swept the state and became a really big source of entertainment for all those, what would you call there's, them? There's Alina, not a lot. Alina's? There's not a lot going on in Illinois, unless you're in Chicago. In, in the early 1900s, let's, let's be clear. <laughs> um, Even less going on. March Madness must have been huge. It was huge. Um, so the first appearance of the term was actually in the Illinois High School Association's magazine, And fun fact, this was the first time the term was printed not in relation to rabbit mating. So. What? Big change in 1939. Explain. Do rabbits mate in March? It seems to be that way. Uh, So, yeah. Fascinating. Lots of rabbit mating. That is a very fun fact for all of our listeners. (laughs) Um, So there was some usage of the term applied to college basketball in the 1950s, but it mostly stayed inside Illinois. And then in 1982, CBS sportscaster and Chicago native Brent Musburger started using the term during his telecasts, but the NCAA gives official credit to popularizing the term to the city of Seattle and Bob Walsh, who hosted the tournament in 1984, and they were trying to just find, you know, a fun way to market the game. Alliteration is always fun. (laughs) It really is. But this does lead us, this kind of Illinois high school setup, it does lead us to our first underdog story of the history of March Madness. Because recall that Illinois high school basketball originated the term, and by the early 1990s, both the Illinois High High School Association and the NCAA were claiming that they each had the exclusive rights to all commercial use of the term. Uh, In 1996, Illinois High School Association sued the NCAA over the naming rights to a video game. And they were already making, like, Maddens for... They were trying to make, like, the NCAA 
video game. And Illinois High School Association was not having it. And so, but the court actually ruled against them, saying that the high school association did not have the rights to the term as it applied to the NCAA tournament. So there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of negotiation. And eventually, in 2000, the two organizations agreed to transfer all of the rights to a separate company, and each association now has equal licensing rights to use the term, and they've agreed to split the profits of licensing the, ter- licensing the term to other companies or products. I'm shocked that the NCAA couldn't <laughs> win out in that battle. I know. So that's why it's a great underdog story. Like, little old Illinois High School Association just raking it's it in. Cinderella story. <laughs> if ever there was one. Um, but the other underdog story of our March Madness history takes us to a Staten Island bar in 1977 where the first bracket was invented, which seems crazy that it was only 77 because it's such an entrenched part of March Madness these days. But filling out a bracket, 88 people filled one out that first year, and it was a $10 buy-in and a winner-take-all format. And then some intrepid reporter goes back to the bar in 2006 where 150,000 people entered and the prize money exceeded a million and a half dollars. And so, so much money was exchanged that the federal government noticed and the bar's pool had to go on a hiatus. Like they got shut down. For like tax evasion? (laughs) Well, funny you bring that up because... The bar's owner eventually did plead guilty to tax evasion. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but don't worry, because the bar is still open to this day. Amazing. We should take a field <laughs> We definitely should. Staten Island, here we come. Um, so the odds of choosing a perfect bracket are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. You're more likely to win the Mega Millions than to fill out a perfect bracket. So when Warren Buffett did the $1 billion bracket challenge where he would give a billion dollars to a perfect bracket, he knew he wasn't going to have to pay that out. Oh, absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 60 million Americans fill out a bracket each year, and they spend an estimated $1 billion gambling. Oh, my God. That's so much money. (laughs) And it's the most popular sporting gambling event after the Super Bowl, which is to say that there is just a ton of money in March Madness and brackets only scratch the surface and zero go to players. Oh, let's be very clear that not a dime goes to the players themselves, although the NCAA is making bank during this entire month. This month basically funds the rest of their operations. Okay, so brackets are a big deal. They just scratch the surface of the profits the NCAA makes, but they obviously get people really invested and excited. Um, Have you ever filled out a bracket? Yeah, Um, I fill out brackets basically every year, whether I follow the season or not. Um, But really, they're never very good. I think my loyalties are just too strong. And so Michigan is generally always number one. I'm glad that, like, first episode, you're coming out just identifying yourself. You know, you gotta be who you are. It's true. Just true. Not trying to to hide that part of me. Well, talking about hiding parts of ourselves and then outing those parts of ourselves. Nice segue. (laughs) 
<laughs> my first bracket I ever filled out was last year for a work pool. What? And GW ever? made the the tournament for the first time in like I don't even know how long. And so I had them go all the way because, <laughs> like, what else is it going to do? And how'd that work out for you? I mean, like, terribly. They lost, I think, in the second round or something. And everybody was like, you're so stupid because even Nate Silver is telling you not to choose them. I feel like Nate Silver has just ruined bracketology. Like, anyone who's going to win money in those pools just follows his picks. Like, you know, there's, we no, should, there's no creativity. There's no ingenuity anymore. We should find people who just did Nate Silver's bracket to a T and see how they did. Or I'm sure they've I mean, written about how their bracket at, did, right? At Nate Silver's blog That's and true. see how his bracket That's did. Uh, well, that would have been an additional piece of research we didn't think of <laughs> in time for the show. I'm going to cut in with an editor's note here. We went back and did the research to see how Nate Silver's bracket did last year, and this is what we found out. So every year, Nate Silver and his team at 538 put together a probability bracket, which last year gave Louisville a two seed, um, the best chance of winning the entire tournament with a 15% chance, followed by Florida with a 14% chance and Arizona with a 13% chance. Both Florida and Arizona were number one seeds. The championship of last year ended up being played between Connecticut, a seven seed, and Kentucky, an eighth seed, who were given less than 1% and 2% chance to win the championship, respectively, by 538's metrics. So, really, when people, the best in the business can't even get it right, right, what like, hope is there for the rest of us? People follow his brackets because they make so much sense, and when you're, vote, when you're going up against people who arbitrarily pick teams, then you might have a better chance at winning your office pool but um really his brackets were his bracket was way off last year um but it's kind of crazy because their metrics take into account five separate computerized power rankings the preseason ap rankings the ncaa selection committee's rankings as well as injury reports suspensions and travel distances for (laughs) the tournament games so like they build in all these different figures that should make it a really good um, predictor, but they were. Well, I guess very that's why you gotta off. watch the game. You know, you never know what can happen. I mean, that's what makes it so fun. It's just that sports more and more is going toward data for everything. So it's it's good to see that a Cinderella story or happenstance can just cut right through all of that. <laughs> yeah, miracles. <laughs> I know that's hockey, but. Um, Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, but up next, we'll reveal our top picks in our bracket this year, and a very important question, tattoos, hot or not? Both. hardcore research for this one. Um, I put together, I took a look at the last AP um, ranking and took the top 10 teams of the men's Division I NCAA rankings and um, categorized them by hotness. Ooh. Yeah, it's very scientific. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 
know, but I did I did try to take into account different people's tastes. I, you know, I what, graded, what were your major metrics? I graded on a lot of different things, frankly. Um, I took into account tattoos, mm-hmm. whether they were particularly artistic or particularly not. <laughs> um, they're also young looking, <laughs> which was kind of a struggle because I kept just writing baby face on them. Um, next time, maybe I'll grade people my own age, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, um, I also noted all of their, um, heights and weights and Mm -hmm. arm size, bicep size, you know, calves, (laughs) if they had particularly nice calves, (laughs) hair, definitely skin, um, basically anything that any, uh, man looking at a magazine would judge a woman on Mm -hmm. their bicep size. Well, so who came out on top? What's what's the results? Well, so out of the top ten in the last AP rankings, um, Villanova came out on top. Villanova. But that actually was helped by um, their coach. Uh, I awarded extra points for coach, <laughs> and um, I gave I gave Jay Wright, you know, a positive, a little bump for Villanova. He's a good looking dude. So he actually brought up the entire team's average yeah. enough to put them in the number one seed. No, they were gonna win anyways, but he made it more of a, a clear cut victory over Virginia, who came in number two. Mm. Well, and you did this what on a ten point scale? Um, yeah, it's a 10-point scale per player. Um, I literally looked through every single player. There's there's a spreadsheet of this that should never be seen by anyone. Except because I'm feeling generous to the listeners today. I've done my own due diligence and collected my favorite descriptions that that Bryn used to remind herself of who was hot and oh, who Lord. was not. <laughs> So, coming to you from Bryn's spreadsheet, <laughs> she divided things into pro and con columns. So, under her pros, some <laughs> of my favorites were hotter than brother. His, they're twins, <laughs> just for the record. Uh, but I stand by that. One is definitely hotter than the other. And uh, just a, a quick note, we're not going to identify uh, actual players because... You know, my dad always told me that you don't make fun of people's personal appearance. So we'll keep these anonymous. Mm-hmm. But the first There's one was... There's only one set of twins. <laughs> I guess we gave that one away. But from here on out... <laughs> though I guess we don't know which one you think is hotter than That's the true. other. That's okay. true. All right, we've still maintained mm-hmm. our standards. Okay, so hotter than brother. Super infectious smile. A plus tats. Mm-hmm. Tats game strong. Tats for the win. Nice bod. <laughs> so there was a comment in between there. <laughs> Brynn clearly uh, likes a good tattoo. Is there were some tattoos in the negative column too, though. Well, in the negative column, some of my favorites were super generic looking, crazy eyed, <laughs> enormous, like a yeti, and eyes far apart, but kind of pulls it off. <laughs> and I would also. Like to put at my number one ranking of Bryn's great comments. In the pro column, she had cute ginge. <laughs> and for the same player in the negative column, she had ginge. <laughs> okay, so, you know, all fun and games aside, obviously we knew what we were doing in ranking teams by hotness. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, we were fully aware of the fact that we were objectifying these poor, innocent (laughs) college students who are just trying to, you know, win a game or two. And who are we to only judge them based on their looks and not their talent or skill? It sounds familiar. A little bit? Uh, Just a bit. (laughs) I may have heard this once before. So the point is that women who play sports, who watch sports, who are involved with sports are constantly objectified. And just to give you a quick little rundown of some recent examples of how women are objectified in sports. Uh, There's an up-and-coming tennis star named, I might botch this, Eugenie Bouchard. And she had, she's recently won the second round of the Australian Open. And a male reporter is asking her questions after the game and asked her to give us a twirl and show off her outfit. Previously, Bouchard has been asked which celebrity she would like to date. Oh my god. So really getting to the hard-hitting questions here. Um, but it's not just it's not just the up-and-comers. Serena Williams has also been asked the twirl question. And to this she replied, quote, A commentator asked me to twirl. I wouldn't ask Rafa Nadal or Roger Federer to twirl. Whether it's sexist or not, I don't know. I can't answer that. I don't think and look that deep into it. Life is far too short to focus on that. We have so many other problems we want to deal with that we should focus on. Whether I twirl or not, it's not the end of the world. Agreed. But there's also no reason that that should come up in the first place. It's just, like, obviously Serena was willing to move on from it and not make a big deal out of it. But this happens constantly, over and over and over, to women who play sports. And I I get it. I get that she wants to be treated as an athlete and she's trying to move past this and not concern herself with the sideshow stuff. But, you know, saying, I don't know if it's sexist or not, when you just explain that they never ask the men these same types of questions. Like, it's pretty clear that there's sexism going on in your profession. Just finish the thought. Yeah. Just just say this is super sexist (laughs) and move on. And more broadly, there are entire academic papers that are written just about the racialized and sexualized presentations of Serena and Venus Williams. And, I mean, everything you would imagine. Comparisons to animals, exaggerated attention paid to their breasts and their butts, and then really hyperbolic descriptions of their physical power, like always always making comparisons of her capacity for violence type of stuff. And so, you know, she just recently actually returned to a tournament that she's boycotted for 13 years because when she first played there, a lot of racial slurs were yelled at her and her family, but she did make her return to the tournament an opportunity to raise funds for the equal justice initiative. That's awesome. So I do give her major props there. Um, But just so you don't think it's all tennis stuff, uh, the most recent summer Olympics in 2012 were rife with examples. Like it was out of control. Um, maybe most famously, the beach volleyball players, the men were allowed to wear a tank top and shorts. And I'm going to read the women's description verbatim. (laughs) Please do. Women are required to wear wear a tankini style top. The two-piece women's top must be designed with deep cutaway armholes on the stomach, back, and upper chest. 
The briefs should be cut toward the leg on an upward angle. The maximum side width allowed is seven centimeters. And the one piece must consist of an open back and upper chest. Just to, just to put things. That is horrifying. It gets more horrifying because, uh, at the time, London mayor Boris Johnson attributed the popularity of the women's beach volleyball to how they, quote, glisten like wet otters in their bikinis. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, not even trying to hide the blatant, blatant sexism right there. Nope. And this is an elected official of a major metropolitan global city. That's crazy. Um, And just two other quick ones. Jessica Hardy, who is a U.S. Olympic swimmer, said before the Games... Even leading up to the games, I've noticed all these articles about who the hottest female Olympians are, and it seems like that is almost as important or more important than our actual talent in the pool. Word. And finally, Lolo Jones, track star, everyone was more concerned that A, she was a virgin, and B, she was a hot virgin. Yeah. So, just goes to show, objectification of women in sports is rampant. It is, and that those were great examples, and they're, I'm sure they're only a drop in the pan of how many you could Definitely. have just shared with us. But the mother load of all objectifications in sports has got to be the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Gonna have to agree with you there right off the bat. Like, it's not even thinly veiled as anything other than pure <laughs> objectification. It is... I don't even know if they have if they've explicitly stated a mission. It's definitely not to sell bikinis. <laughs> it's definitely not to glorify sports stars. So, um, it actually began in 1964 as just a blatant way to boost ad sales and revenue in the winter months of Sports Illustrated when there wasn't a ton going on in the rest of the sports world. So. Ugh. Basically, the 60s. (laughs) Yeah, they were just like, let's make a ton of money and put attractive women in our magazine wearing little to nothing. And actually, at the time, the bikini was not even really invented. It became a legitimate piece of apparel because (laughs) of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. I love that. Like, men were all of a sudden introduced to this and they were like, let's make it a real thing. We want to see these everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's basically how it went down. Um, so over the years, um, the covers of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition have always featured women. Um, female athletes have been featured inside. They've had spreads and um, lots of photos, but they've never been on a cover. A female athlete has never graced the cover. Not once. Wow. It's always models. Um, and actually, Elle McPherson is the number, she's had the biggest amount of covers. She's had five covers, followed by Christy Brinkley, Cheryl Teagues, Kathy Ireland. These are names that are commonplace in the modeling community, but why are they on Sports <laughs> Illustrated? Like, this makes no sense. Um, but interestingly, um, all Serena Williams, Jenny Finch, the uh, softball player, mm-hmm. Danica Patrick, and Lindsey Vaughn were all given co- covers of Sports Illustrated regular edition mm-hmm. after they posed in the swimsuit edition. No way. <laughs> Never before 
immediately afterwards, they all got covers. So oh, deal with the devil. Show. Yeah. Lindsay Vaughn was actually quoted as saying, taking off her clothes for the swimsuit edition helped her get a cover. That is unreal to me that even women at the height of their sport still have to succumb to such outdated ideas of how women need to be beautiful or that literally trading sex for success. Yeah. And they're under no illusions about it. Even the athletes are just like, yeah, we see this for what it is. And it's just total objectification. Bryn, I mean, do you think that there are any redeeming qualities? Well, this year there was actually a plus size model featured in the magazine for the first time ever, um, which was a pretty big deal. There were actually two in the magazine. One of them was in an ad that a company took out, um, and basically they paid Sports (laughs) Illustrated to put a slightly larger girl in the magazine. But the other one um, was Robin Lolly, mm-hmm. um, who is a plus size model. Um, she's a size twelve. She's like she's a gorgeous woman, and she was in one picture in the magazine. She's made history as the first plus size model to be included. So it took what around about fifty years, half a century, to get one quote unquote plus size model in the pages right we're not showcasing a very wide variety of female figures here (laughs) and the advertisers aren't doing much better either if this is the first plus size model who's been in an ad too yeah (laughs) exactly everyone's been just following suit but the sports illustrated swimsuit edition is really interesting to look at now um because every year espn comes out with the body issue Mm um which is I see it as sort of a retort to the swimsuit edition. Um, It was started in 2009. That's so recent. Really recent. Um, And it was sort of the same thing where ESPN was trying to figure out how they could, like, amp up their revenue a little bit in the winter and started distributing this. But they include really cool things in in their body issue. Like, the first one in 2009 um, showcased... Sports injuries. Oh, so they like really? showed they showed a knee surgery. They showed like the ins and outs, like sort of a dissection of like what it looks like when your knee is injured in a sport and like rehab and like post rehab, like Whoa. how it comes out looking. Um, they had a whole section of like bodies we want, and I was like, okay, um, here we go. I roll, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it included. An amputee, a sumo wrestler, a female shot putter, and, like, just runs the gamut of, like, shapes, sizes, color, everything. I'm, like, even more pleased than I thought I would be. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty great. Their, like, tagline is that the body issue shows off the vast potential of the human form, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome because you really do see, like the most powerful thighs <laughs> in the entire world. And... um I want to contrast that with uh, the editor of Sports Illustrated talking about the swimsuit edition. Oh, no. Um, He was sort of talking about um, competitors, not just the body issue, but also like Maxim and other magazines, and said, I think most imitations of the swimsuit edition have sort of a leering quality that the swimsuit edition does not have. 
It remains a celebration of athletic bodies and good health. What? <laughs> like, excuse me? <laughs> like, you match up some of your models next to some of these incredible athletes in the body issue. Like, athletic bodies is not even... Oh, my goodness. I also just want to note that. that this year's cover, talking about the Lear inequality, yeah. this year's cover... Was that model like pulling down her bikini bottom like, so that you almost saw her as lady she could parts? Possibly get. <laughs> and yeah, like Sports Illustrated is fooling themselves if that's what they actually think, but I'm sure they don't. I sure they I'm sure they know exactly what they're doing and that really they know exactly how to move magazines. Yeah, man. I just looked at that and was like this editor. <laughs> well, contrast that because here at this household, uh, I think I used to get ESPN magazine. Yeah. As, so we got the body issue last year when Prince Fielder was on the cover. And I really appreciated that because not only was it a dude bearing it all, which is refreshing just on its own, but he's also not, you know, like a Michael Phelps kind of godly body type. He's this yeah. more like stocky kind of shorter baseball player who don't always seem like the most fit guys, especially when they're wearing, you know, their baggy uniforms and their pants rolled down. But it was sort of incredible to see that he's actually incredibly muscular and just, like, all mass, just all muscle mass. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to talking about, like, what objectification is because I find myself, like, marveling more Mm. at the ESPN body issue. I mean, like, wow. Like, these people are in peak fitness for their yeah. sports, like, regardless of what that ends up looking like. Yeah. And, I mean, even the uh, Time magazine opened an article about the body issue by saying that both men and women pose nude for the photo shoots and neither gender is objectified. And I think that that's true because you look at, as I'm, like, leafing through the body issue, I'm looking at both genders like totally yeah. the same just like in awe of their strength yeah and not like not like the leering <laughs> quality <laughs> that i see with the swimsuit edition that they claim to not have so at the end of the day i just have to say i feel much more comfortable around the body issue than the swimsuit edition amen But that wraps up our special topic for today, so we're going to take a quick break and come back with a little segment that Maeve and I are calling Microsports. 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 We're rolling with it now. <laughs> we. It was, you know, local sports would be our local city teams. So I thought we had to go one level smaller. <laughs> and so here we are. We've ended up with microsports. Microsports. It's a work in progress. But um, all right, Bryn. So microsports, what's been going on with you this week? Um, this week marks my halfway point in my marathon training. Woo! Crazy, crazy. And it was kind of fitting for the halfway point, you know, a big accomplishment to be a half marathon in the pouring rain, Mm -hmm. freezing cold, (laughs) 7 a.m. It was a pretty brutal race, I'm not going to lie. 
But you gotta love the poetry that you're half point in training. Well, I'm hoping if the midway point was so terrible, the end is just gonna make up for it and be like double amazing when I finish the marathon. I think it's gonna be a huge accomplishment. I hope I make it. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I mean, Bryn might be too modest to say so, but this half marathon was not actually the farthest you've run. No. Yeah, it was actually uh, last week I ran 15 miles, which was mind-blowing to me. (laughs) Um, So I'm building up next week is 17. So this was sort of like a, a relaxed run for me, and it felt good. But that's enough about running. Maeve, do you want to tell us about your kickboxing? Yeah, kickboxing has been great. I think I've been doing it since like August or September, somewhere in there. And, you know, just a good way to like punch out some aggression, yeah. kick some ass. <laughs> uh, and what are, what would you say is the breakdown of the other people in your class? Who, who's hmm. kicking ass around you? There's this one girl. I'm pretty sure that she is like in a real kickboxing league or like something a fight club. like I'm pretty sure that the trainer I I'm not pretty sure I know that the trainer does a whole host of like jujitsu and martial arts and all sorts of stuff and so this kickboxing class like incorporates a lot of those elements supposedly but I don't know those other things so I don't know if they're actually being included or not I assume they are but she I think is like knows him through some league or who knows what? But they can't talk about it because <laughs> it's the first rule. <laughs> the first rule of kickboxing league is don't talk about kickboxing league. But she is ripped. Like, she is the definition of strong, not skinny. She's completely my idol at this point, but I am just not ready to be her partner. So maybe I'll work up the nerve for next episode, but I'll keep you guys updated. And speaking of which, you should keep in touch. Yeah, um, you can find us on Facebook. We're Not Your Boyfriend Sports Show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at NYBF Sports and on Gmail at NYBFSports at gmail.com. All right. Good game, Bryn. Good game, Maeve.